Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the newest segment of the Disney Dads podcast. Each week, we'll explore the stories that made Walt Disney the American icon he is today. From Walt's birth to his death and everything in between, this weekly show will be completely dedicated to Walt and the people around him. My name's Justin, and I want to welcome you to the first episode of Walking with Walt. It's a cold day in February 1928. Walt and Lillian have traveled to New York to celebrate some of their greatest accomplishments up to date with the Alice comedies and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Walt's only 26 at the time, and a young 26. He sports a thin mustache just to make the people he meets with seem like he is more dignified. Now, the people he's going to meet with, one, is Margaret Winkler. Margaret was a financial backer to Walt. She backed the Alice comedies, but also backed Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit, uh, Walt's newest endeavor, which had seen success. And this is why Walt and Lillian had traveled all the way to New York. They thought they were here to celebrate this new success that they had found. Now, the other person that Walt was going to meet with was Charles Mintz. Now, Charles was a film producer and distributor, and he was also Margaret's husband. And they had been married about four years at the time. Now, Charles wasn't happy with the Disney brothers and the, and the way that the Alice comedies had cost more than he thought they needed to. So he asked Walt to come up with a new character. That new character was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, which in turn saw more success than Charles ever expected it that it would. So as Walt goes to this meeting, thinking he's going to celebrate his success, he actually finds out that Charles Mintz was there to not only reduce his pay, but to let him know that he was taking all the rights to Oswald, and he hired out all of his animators out from underneath him, except for Ub Iwerks, who stayed with Disney. This crushed Walt. He didn't know what to do. He told Charles, he was so mad, he told Charles, you can have him. And at that moment, Walt knew that he didn't have anything left. So let me ask you, what would you do? Your life's work has just been ripped out from underneath you. Everything you've built up to now is gone. Your creative work. Now, Walt was a genius when it came to creativity. But as far as contracts, this was new to him. He had never never been a part of something so big before. To him, it was always just animation. And in the contract, he did not realize that when Margaret and Charles funded the Alice comedies, and funded Oswald, they also attained the rights to the characters. So, as Walt and Lily boarded the train from New York all the way back to Hollywood... Walt knew he had to come up with something new. Now, there is a silver lining to what happened. Walt dedicated himself to saying that never again would he not own the full rights to every character that he came up with. Lillian was terrified. She didn't know what would happen. Roy wanted Walt to settle with Charles Metz. And Walt actually sent a telegram to Roy back in Hollywood Now, he never told Roy what happened. He never told him what had actually gone wrong there. All he said was, don't worry. Everything okay. 
and that he'll be arriving home. That just shows you what kind of man Walt was. He was always the leader from the beginning. Although he was the younger brother, only 26, had just had everything taken from him. He had the coolness and the calmness to reaffirm everyone around him that everything was going to be okay. But he knew it was time to come up with something new. As Walt and Lillian boarded the train, Walt was fuming. He was so angry. Lillian once said in an interview, he was like a raging lion on the train. But Walt knew, out of that rage, he would create something fantastic. So he took a few pieces of paper and he sat down and started to brainstorm what the world needed to see out of the Disney Studios. As Walt sketched ideas and looked at the countryside through the window, with Lillian by his side, he thought, I don't want to do something that's been done. There's a lot of animals that have been animated, but I need something new. So what can I do? He circled back around to a mouse. Walt's daughter, Diane Disney Miller, recalled, It was on that long train ride that Dad conceived of a new cartoon subject, a mouse who was then refined and further developed by Ub Iwerks and given his name by my mother. As the train went along and the countryside passed outside the window, Walt sketched and he changed and he thought. Until about the time they reached Kansas City, we began to see the creation, the beginning of the mouse that we love today. The beginnings of Mickey Mouse came to the page on that train ride, and out of necessity. Walt and Roy and the Disney Company needed a new character, and Walt had delivered, although he didn't know it yet. Now the Mickey we see today is not the Mickey that was pinned on that page in 1928 on that train ride back. The Mickey we see today was later perfected by Ub Iwerks and Disney. Walt once wrote in a 1948 essay titled, What Mickey Means to Me. He popped out of my mind onto a drawing pad 20 years ago on a train ride from Manhattan to Hollywood at a time when the business fortunes for my brother, Roy, and myself were at the lowest ebb, and disaster seemed right around the corner. Without knowing it, Walt had just changed not only cinema history, but pop culture for the rest of the world. Mickey Mouse was born, but his name wasn't always Mickey. Walt, once Mickey was created, thought, what should we name this mouse? Originally, it was Mortimer. Walt says to Lily, how about Mortimer? Lily replies to Walt, and I love this, Mortimer, too sissy. How about Mickey? Diane Disney would once say that her mom was always so proud that she named Mickey. It's the creation of Mickey Mouse that makes Walt the man he is. Not because of Mickey himself, but because of the situation in which Mickey came from. Walt was at his lowest point, and yet he reached his highest goal through that. Walt said, I see opportunity where others see obstacles. 
And man, was that true. Walt lived by that motto, and this was the perfect example of why Walt Disney is the man that we all know today. As the train arrived back in Los Angeles, Walt went straight to work. He got with Ub, he got with Roy, and there were many, many, many late night brainstorming sessions where they would draw and they would sketch and they would create from what Walt had thought up on the train what we come to find as Mickey. Ub, Ub once said, pear-shaped body, ball on top, a couple of thin legs. If you elongate the nose, it's a mouse. We start to see Mickey in the form we see him today. Walt, Roy, and Ub had created Mickey, and not a moment too soon. The Disney company needed this character, and they needed him to succeed. And it was time for Mickey to meet the world, and for the world to meet Mickey. The first time we see Mickey on screen is not Steamboat Willie. It was actually a short called Plain Crazy, and it was inspired by Charles Lindbergh's heroic first solo flight across the Atlantic. Now, its plot entailed Mickey and some animal friends attempting to assemble their own plane. But the problem was this. The short never reached distribution. Then there was a second try, and it was called The Gallop and Gacho. And it met the same exact fate as the first. No distribution. Now, Walt, you know, he, was, he, he didn't know what to do. He, he had created this character. It was beloved by him and by everyone at the Disney company. But he couldn't get it distributed for the world. So what would they do? They would create a picture with sound. On November the 18th, 1928, in New York's Colony Theater, Walt did something the world had rarely seen. He synchronized sound to an animated short. And the world went crazy for Mickey Mouse. Mickey was here. Mickey was here to stay. Walt received $1,000 for a two-week run of Steamboat Willie, and it was the highest sum ever paid for a cartoon on Broadway. The Walt Disney Studios were back, and they were back with something they owned the rights to, and no one could ever take from them ever again. Mickey Mouse was a success, and the world wanted more Mickey. Mickey would come back to the big screen right away, March 14, 1929, alongside Minnie Mouse in the Barden Dance. From there, Mickey would don his white gloves for the first time in the Opry House, March 28, 1929. The rest is history. Mickey was everywhere. People needed Mickey Mouse in everything. Merchandise, films, television, Disney parks. I don't know if Walt knew that his creation would take the world by storm the way it has. Mickey is the most beloved character that has ever been penned to paper. You know, I don't know if Walt ever knew that his creation on that train ride from New York back to Hollywood would change the world the way it has. Mickey Mouse is not only a character, but he's someone that people love. I think a lot of people can see themselves in Mickey. He's fragile but strong. He always tries to be the best version of himself. He is the perfect example for not only our children, but for us. Mickey is the icon that Walt needed in 1928. And he's the character that we all love now. 
Just think about merchandising alone. In total, around 40% of Disney revenues from consumer products come from Mickey Mouse merchandise. 40%. That's amazing. No matter where you go in the world, I think if you ask a child who is Mickey Mouse, most will be able to tell you. Let me leave you with a few quotes from Walt about Mickey. Walt once said, All we ever intended for him or expected of him was that he should continue to make people everywhere chuckle with him and at him. We didn't burden him with any social symbolism. We made him no mouthpiece for frustrations or harsh satire. Mickey was simply a little personality assigned to the purpose of laughter. Walt also said, It is understandable that I should have sentimental attachment for the little personage who played such a big part in the course of Disney productions and has been so happily accepted as an amusing friend wherever films are shown around the world. He still speaks for me and I still speak for him. When people laugh at Mickey Mouse, it's because he's so human. And that's the secret of his popularity. But there's one quote out there that sticks out above all others. And it's one quote I always think about every time I walk into the Disney parks, watch a Disney movie, watch my child light up at the fireworks over Cinderella Castle. And it's Walt saying, I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse.